we return to the letter to the Hebrews this evening, chapter 1. This morning we looked at verses 1, 2, and 3. This evening we'll begin at verse 4 through the end of the chapter will be our focus, but we'll read uh, starting at verse 1 as a reminder of where we were this morning in the supremacy of Christ over the prophets. Let's hear then the breathed out word of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same. Your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer again. Our dear Heavenly Father, we look around us at this world and we see the crisis that occurs in our health systems and see the turmoil that is occurring within our political system and in society in general and we just wonder how much more evil this world can become. And it could be a really frightening situation. But Lord, we also know that you hold each and every one of us in your hands, that you take care of us, you protect us, you meet our needs, for you know what they are. You guide us, you will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. And Lord, we rest in that promise and as such, we pray that you will indwell your spirit in Pastor Bob, that he will feel your words coming in to his mind, that he will feel how you are to have him connect the thoughts and concepts together for us to understand. And above all, open our hearts 
to hear what you, through your breathed out word, has to say. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So this morning was the supremacy of Christ over the prophets in terms of revelation. And we kind of get that. We, we would get that in a letter that is addressed to the Hebrews, right? Uh, the Hebrew people which are holding on, as it were, to the Old Testament. These are their scriptures of the time. Paul, if he is the author, is, is looking at it and saying, and God's leading him obviously and inspiring him to, to point to them the fact that, but Christ is superior to that. Christ is supreme over those Old Testament prophets that they held so dear and cherished so much. Prophets that were prophesying the coming of a Messiah. Though those, although those who are believers in Jesus Christ know Christ and understand he is the Messiah, yet there is still from Paul here then an encouragement to understand the depth of that, to understand the reason why Christ is superior in terms of revelation over those prophets. And of course, it's an address, is it not, to those who are outside of Christ. It is indeed the message of the gospel that God has indeed spoken in His Son. But that leaves us with the question then, why then does the author in this section, which I would hope even at the uh, reading of it is pretty obvious, he is setting forth the fact that Christ is superior or is supreme over the angels. Well, why are the angels brought into this? Well, why is, is that a factor? Well, part of it is because by the time we are in the first century and we're moving on past Pentecost and the church has been established, we're into the book of Acts, there is the growth of false teaching. Paul even warned the Colossians about that, if you recall when we were studying in the book of Colossians, about those who worship angels. The Gnostics were of the belief that, that God existed in various forms, sometimes even in lower beings. So you could worship God by worshiping the lower beings, which would be, in their understanding, angels. So the fact is that by the time Hebrews is being written, there are those even who are part or were part of the Christian faith who have now kind of separated themselves off and have been led astray by false teachers who are teaching this idea of the worship of angels. So, of course, the author is going to address this. Of course, he's going to deal with the circumstance of placing before them not only the supremacy of Christ over prophets, but the supremacy of Christ over angels as well. You see, you might say, well, I, I don't see a whole lot of people worshiping angels. Well, that may be true on the surface, but underneath there are a lot of people who engage themselves in angel worship in our day and in our age and in our culture. But I think even more 
even more. It's the idea that the author is presenting here of the fact that Christ is supreme in terms of salvation. See, this morning it's Christ is supreme in terms of revelation, even over the prophets. Here, it's that Christ is supreme in terms of salvation, even over the angels. So let's look at four things then in the way in which the rest of Hebrews chapter 1 lays out for us the supremacy of Christ in terms of our salvation and the supremacy of Christ then over the angels. Verse 4, Christ is supreme because of his work. Now this is the part, verse 4, is where I cut off this morning. And some of you who do outlines probably have one blank left on this morning's outline. So I'm, I'm going to let you fill in this morning's outline as well as this evening's outline. Because you see, it's in terms of salvation that Christ is supreme. No prophet could have brought to them salvation. Of no prophet could have been it be said, having become, verse 4, as, excuse me, back on verse 3, the middle of it. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. No prophet, no prophet could make purification for sins. No human alone, no mortal man could have brought about purification from sin. But nor could any angel. See, there, there are two components, right? In order for salvation to be accomplished, there needs to be a humanity component, but there also needs to be a divine component. There needs to be the representation of the guilty, man, but there needs to be the perfection of the divine. Prophets would only fulfill the humanity aspect, but not the divine. In a sense, angels could represent the perfection, but they could not represent the human. Therefore, no matter what prophet, nor what angel there is, none of them could fulfill those words of verse 3. After making purification for sin. You see, it is Christ and Christ alone who can do so. And the purification he brought is final. It is complete. It is finished. We just sang that, right? We just sang that in that hymn. How do we know it's finished? Because he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is a finished work. It is an accomplished work. It is a completed work. And it's found only in Christ. That's what the author is pointing us to. Why is Christ supreme? Because he and he alone could provide salvation. We are not to look to any man, to any human being, to provide us salvation. There are no human saviors. Nor are there any 
angel saviors. There are no, as it were, other gods. There is no other means by which we can be saved other than Jesus Christ. Not even an angel can provide for us salvation. The author sort of gets at that, doesn't he? When, he? when he talks about that, not only that on the one side in terms of Christ, after making purification for sins, having become much more superior to angels. And just the name itself, right? Here is Christ, the anointed one. Here is Christ, the Messiah. That on the one side. Who's on the other side? Angels. By definition, by term, by Greek word, angelos, meaning messenger. Their work continues. Their work is ongoing. Why? Because they are messengers. Who are they messengers of? They're messengers of the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. They are messengers of the King. They are messengers of Christ. They serve Jesus Christ. They can't provide salvation. They are not superior to Christ. How so? Because they are angels. They are not Christ. There is but one anointed one. There is but one chosen one. See, we sang that in that hymn too, right? That the chosen one brings many sons to glory, which is found actually in Hebrews chapter 2, where Lord willing will be next week. See, you see, the author's point is Christ is superior to these angels. Why? Because the work of Christ is a finished, completed salvation. The work of angels is a lesser work. It is not a salvitic work. They don't provide salvation. And their work still goes on. It is not yet completed. They're still serving. It is still ongoing. Now in our reformed understanding of how this all took place, we believe okay, that this arrangement, this covenant, this covenant of redemption between the Father and the Son with the work of the Spirit, I think we oftentimes leave that out, but I think it's a triune covenant, is made before the foundations of the world. It's made before anything else is created. Now suppose that God now creates angels. And he informs the angels. This is the way things are going to be. I'm going to create man. I'm going to breathe in him the breath of life. Man is going to be my image bearer. You are not. Man is going to fall. Man is going to sin. But see my son... My son is the anointed Christ. I'm going to send my son to die upon a cross, to be raised again, to be ascended back here, where I will make him the heir of all things. Now, you, your task is to be a messenger. Now, the Bible informs us that part of the fall of Satan, 
is a jealousy. It is a rebellion. Perhaps what it is, is he is jealous over Christ. I'm the highest angel. The word tells us that. Come on, I can't do that. No, that's not right. I don't like that plan. I shall rebel and I will do everything I can to destroy that plan because I am the one who is deserving. I am the one who is superior. But he falls. He's crushed. And he will ultimately be destroyed. See, there is much being packed in here, isn't there, for us. But it is undoubtedly before us of the fact that Christ is superior in the work that he has accomplished over the work of the angels. Then, the author goes on to say, but also is his name superior? Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the very name, the very title, Christ, makes him superior because he has been given that title. The title of anointed one. The title of Messiah. The title of Savior. A title that no angel has ever been given or will be given. Notice how then the author continues to go on under that understanding. What title has he actually been given? Well, it's not just Christ, is it? For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Here's another example the author is calling up to show forth the excellency, the superiority of the name of Christ. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Or again, let all God's angels worship him, that is, my son. Why were we singing this morning, angels we have heard on high, hark the herald angels sing? Why? Because the angels have been commissioned to worship Christ. And we see it from his birth on. We see it in Revelation, in the culmination of all things. His name. He is the Son. They are messengers. Sent to testify about the greatness of the Son. Sent to do what the Son, what the King, what the Anointed One commands. Sent to guard God's chosen ones. Did you catch that at the end of verse 1? Or at the end of chapter 1? Are they not all ministering spirits? What? Sent to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Can't you just see Satan say, wait a minute. I'm an angel. I'm the greatest angel there is. And you're telling me my job is to serve those fallen human beings? Yes, Lucifer, that is your role. I'm not happy. See, there is the superiority of the Son. Even in the name 
that he is given. Son of God. No angel, no angel has that title. Third, he is supreme by God's command. We come back then to verse 6. What did God command? God commanded, let all God's angels worship him. Now this is going to be a little bit of an exercise as to how we allow scripture to interpret scripture. So where does that verse come from? Now probably many of you have a notation that it comes from the book of Deuteronomy. So turn with me to Deuteronomy. and It's going to be Deuteronomy chapter 32. And it's going to be verse 43. So we have in our ESV, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods. Gods. Now how do we, what, what do we mean by gods? What, what does gods mean here in Deuteronomy? Well, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of Deuteronomy 32, 43, reads, Bow down to him, all angels. So what's going on in Hebrews 1, verse 6? The author is quoting or explaining to us or interpreting for us. We're allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. What does Deuteronomy 32, verse 43 mean? It means God commands, let all God's angels worship him, worship Christ. See, this is the command of God. Christ is not to worship angels because of their superiority over him. Angels are to worship Christ because of his superiority over them. Let all God's angels worship him. That's why in Luke chapter 2, there are angels. It's not to make a nice little scene, although it does. Right? It's by command of God. Those angels are there appearing to those shepherds, announcing the good news of the birth of a Savior born in Bethlehem, saying glory to God in the highest. Why are they there? They're under command of God. You go. You sing the praises of my son. You lift up his name. You glorify him. Angels are to minister. Angels are to serve. They're not to be worshipped. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. So we're at the end of the, this revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is given to the Apostle John. Right? And, and chapter 19 is a glorious, glorious conclusion. 
Now we, we have singing going up, hallelujah, salvation and glory, and so on and so forth. Verse 9, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now notice what John does. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. John was going to worship an angel. This is not some pagan, right? This is the Apostle John. This is the one who leaned upon Christ's breast. He's just had this glorious revelation. And yet, at this point, he, he is moved. He falls down for the purpose of worshiping the angel. Now listen to the angel. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I referenced the temptation this morning of Jesus. You see, you see what was going on? What's Satan doing? Satan, the fallen angel on the other side, is saying, Worship me and I'll give you all this stuff, Jesus. Just worship me. Jesus' response, you shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. John is going to worship this angel. And the angel says, don't do that. You worship God. Why? Because he's superior. Go forward with me to chapter 22. Chapter 22. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Wasn't he just told not to do that? Yeah, but he's been shown something amazing. He's been shown something beautiful. He's been shown the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. He's been shown the river of life. He's going to fall down and worship the angel again. But, verse 9, he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with those who have kept the words of the book. Worship God. They say, well, it doesn't specifically say Christ. Yes, it does. How do we know that? Where were we this morning? Who is Christ? He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of his likeness, of his being. He is God. When the angel says, worship God, he is in effect saying, worship Christ. Because Christ is God. Angels are not to be worshipped. Angels are not to be bowed to. Angels are not to be prayed to. Angels are not to be lifted up. Angels are not to be honored. Angels are not to be adored. Don't fall for this mindless little trap of, well, you have your own guardian angel. His name is, I don't know, Raphael. 
And if you pray to Raphael, okay, if you pray to him, okay, he'll come and he'll be there for you, okay? And, and if you talk nice about Raphael, in fact, if you perhaps bow down to him, then all sorts of good things are going to happen to you. Listen to the word. Don't do that. Worship Christ. He is superior to the angels by the command of God. Last thing. He is supreme by his being. By his being. Although angels are marvelous creatures, although angels are a creation of God that seem to take people's breath away when they encounter them and deal with them. They're frightened by them, by their appearance. Yet there is something that angels do not have in terms of their being. They are not eternal. See, that's what the author is picking up, okay, starting at verse 8. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Right? There, there's no end. Verse 10, you laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. Everything else comes to an end. But you're the same, and your years, the end of verse 12, will have no end. See, it's the being of Christ, the eternal nature of Christ, makes him supreme over any angel. Because every angel is a created. He makes them ministers. He creates them to be his servants. They are sent to serve. They are created by God. Christ is not. Right? We, we don't even say that, that Christ, we, the term we use is the term begotten. He is begotten of the Father. He is not created by the Father. You see, and, and once again, just absorbing in Hebrews chapter 1. When, when, we, when we get somewhat of our heads around that which the author is directing us towards here. We'd never be a Mormon. With their view of some created Christ. Never. Not when you hear the word. The only way you get there is you need some gold plates under a tree telling you something different. You don't get there from the Word. The Word says Christ is God and He is supreme. That's why the salvation, you see, that's why the salvation that you and I have in and through Jesus Christ is forever. Because He is an eternal being.
I know there's a certain point at which when, you, when you're encountering this, it goes, okay, I can't think past this. And no, we shouldn't. We should not think past that which we as human beings, that which we as mere mortals can comprehend. But that which we are told is that which we need to hold on to and hold on to it dearly. Don't trade it in. See, that's what the author of Hebrews is facing. Even in the Christian church of his day, those who were trading in, whether it's the book of Galatians, they're going back to thinking that the law and the prophets can come house, somehow save them, and they really don't need to rely fully upon Jesus Christ. Oh, what a temptation for today. That we turn ourselves away from Christ. That we turn ourselves away from the grace. And we begin to think in some way we can earn our salvation. We can save ourselves. Or that in some way we need some experience beyond Christ. That Christ just isn't enough. Yeah, he gets us part of the way, but we need something more. We need some sort of experience. We need some sort of other being. We need some sort of other step. We need some sort of thing to happen to us in order for us to be saved because Christ just isn't enough. See, they were dealing with that in the first century church. And we deal with it today. When the hymn writer writes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He's not only talking about engaging in sin. He's talking about that temptation that Satan is constantly placing before us. Turn away from Christ. Look for your salvation somewhere else. The author of Hebrews comes back. No. Christ is supreme in our salvation. There is None other to hold on to. And all God's people say, Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word, for this beautiful reminder this morning and this evening of the supremacy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, it is a work finished, it is a work complete, this work of salvation. You don't leave the job partly done. And we know that. We know that because Jesus Christ sat down. It was done. The workday was over. The workday was completed. There's no more needing to get up and do something else. Oh, Father, may we trust. May we trust fully, completely in Christ and in Christ alone. Drive from us. Drive from our hearts, drive from our minds. Any, any inkling, any notion, any thought that salvation is anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. For Lord, your word reminds us there is only one name given under heaven by which men can be saved. Jesus Christ. Thank you.
thank you for revealing that to us through the work of your spirit. Draw us closer to Christ this week. May we lean more upon Christ. May we turn from self. May we give ourselves unreservedly to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we thank you. We thank you, Father, for those ministering spirits that you sent. That the King of kings and Lord of lords command to come, to guard, to protect, to keep. That our salvation, Lord, is kept as an inheritance in heaven itself. What a blessing this is to know. We don't deny the existence of those angels. Lord, no, we thank you. We thank you for those ministering spirits who came to Christ in the wilderness, who came to Christ in the garden, and who so often, even though our eyes cannot see, are ministering to us. The many times of protection you have granted. Oh, Lord, we thank you. You are a good, good God. In Christ's name, God's people said, Amen.